Hey everyone, Wilson Cochran here. So glad you're tuning in to hear the message from this past Sunday. We had a legend of Cincinnati in the house, Dave Workman. Dave was the senior pastor of Vineyard Cincinnati, one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the world in its heyday um, for almost two decades. And he's an amazing man. He gave us an awesome message this past Sunday on healing and specifically dove into some really helpful theology and practicals on why healing doesn't always happen. So hope you're blessed by this message. It, it is my privilege to introduce Dave Workman to you this morning. Yeah, give it up for Dave. It was interesting, I discovered some things about Dave this week. Uh, first of all, when Dave was 13, he was really into music, and his father, uh, they lived on the river, and his father sold his motorboat in order to buy Dave a, a drum set. Isn't that awesome? I mean, yeah. But, it, I, you know, I'm, what Luke said about generations and impacting generations, I think that's a significant thing, because... Um, you, you could say, well, Dave could have had a paper route. And he would have found a Trump drum set some other way. And maybe that's true. The point is his dad sacrificed in order to give him a drum set. And that sent Dave off on a musical career, which led him through his rock and roll years in the secular realm. And then coming to faith in Jesus, meeting his wife, Anita. Uh, Dave and Anita got married in 1978. And then as a believer, Dave started a band called Prodigal. And uh, Prodigal, in 1982, their, their premiere album, their opening album was Prodigal. And uh, they actually won the award, according to Group Magazine, for best album of the year. So that's pretty awesome. And so Dave had some, uh, some, some notoriety with that, some fame with that. And a local radio station interviewed the group. And then they decided they couldn't play the interview because they were too dynamic. It was a secular station, and they were too dynamic to, to put on. But then the Christian stations all said they were too rock and roll to put on. <laughs> Things have changed, haven't they? And, uh, you know, Dave is a forerunner of Christian rock music, and which I mean, we love. We love this, the drums and the guitars and everything. It's just what's in our hearts. And so uh, just, thank you, Dave, for being one of the guys here in this city that took some of the hits over that at the beginning and, and, and kept it coming our direction. Dave and Anita uh, came into the vineyard in 1984 with uh, Steve Shogren starting the, the very first vineyard here. Started off with 20 people. They grew to 6,000. And Dave spent the first half of his 30 years there as the worship leader, the second half of his 30 years there as the senior pastor. And so, yeah, a lot of you remember Dave as a senior pastor, don't you? So you can remember Dave for a lot of things. You could say megachurch pastor. You could say a worship leader. You could say great leader. You, if you don't know this, you're going to find out today, great preacher. Um, most of all, when people talk about Dave, they just start off saying, Dave is a good guy. He's just a good guy. And something bubbles up in me, and I just want to say this right now. Dave Workman is one hell of a guy. He is. He is a great guy. Let's welcome Dave to the stage right now. My friend, my friend. You're out of control. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I know, get down. Stop that. Man, that's quite an introduction, Van. I've got 10 minutes left. He's recounting that history and I'm tired now. I've been through a lot. Well, I am uh, so honored to be uh, here and with you guys. And I love this church, love, love the leadership here, love Van and Lori and Wilson, the whole gang, Luke, the, everybody here, Tyler. I've known Tyler Brown. Tyler was playing the uh, uh, keyboards th uh, this morning. And I've known him for a million years, and he's not that old. That's amazing. <laughs> but Tyler, he, he, uh, he worked for me at one point, and he quit. He said, I can't work this much. And it was a 40-hour job. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be here. And when I found out that the uh, series that the, the Vineyard Northwest is going into is called Supernatural, I wanted to jump in on that one. So uh, I want to, here, here's the deal. Since I'm only here today and then I'm out of here, I want to look at something controversial and something that's a sometimes very confusing part of Christianity, and then I'm leaving. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So I want to talk about the power to heal, but I want to talk about when it happens and when it doesn't. So what do you do with that? Uh, I don't have time to talk about methodologies or practices or whatever, and my understanding is they're going to talk about that in subsequent uh, messages, but this is a little bit more of an apologetic, and, and uh, so that's what I want to do. And just to keep this in perspective, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage everyone here that eventually you're all going to die. I mean, you're, some of you don't have long. I mean, you, you, it's, it's, it's going to have, you can only pump in so much Botox and then it's, it's over. And even Lazarus had to be buried again, you know, so, so turn to the person next to you and say, dude, it's just a matter of time. No, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. That's silly. One of the things I love about Vineyard Northwest is your calling here. And there's, there's an anointing, there's a calling that this church has to be a healing community. And that's really powerful. That means that God trusts you with something when he gives you something like that. And healing in every form, spiritual healing that, that establishes our relationship with God and, and each other, and emotional healing that reconciles soul and spirit, and yes, physical healing. And there's a connection between them all. I remember a friend of mine had an extended hospital stay, and he told me it was the loneliest he'd ever felt. That, that's the connection between all these different elements of who we are. So way back in the day, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth and I was pastoring, I got, uh, I got an email one day that read, it read this. It said, Dear Pastor Workman, and I knew they didn't know me because no one called me Pastor Workman. But uh, he said, in a Saturday service a few weeks ago, you'd finish your sermon and closing prayer, and then you stopped and said, there's someone here that has chronic back pain, chronic lower back pain, and God wants to heal them. I can't remember exactly how you said it now, but I thought, that sounds like me. 
I had been suffering from back pain for months. Sometimes I was so uncomfortable uh, that I couldn't find a position to relieve the pain even when I slept at night. I found myself leaning in my chair at work trying to find a position that felt better. I'd been taking lots of ibuprofen, and I was waiting for my back to heal naturally, and I even prayed for healing. Normally, we attend the Sunday noon celebration, but we decided to come Saturday night because I had promised my grandkids that I would take them to King's Island. Truthfully, though I wanted to keep my promise, I was dreading going and being on my feet all day with chronic pain. But praise God for his healing. When I left the celebration healed, I was able to go and be on my feet all day with no problem. Praise God that today, three weeks later, the pain has not returned. God performed a miracle for me, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, he wrote. I did not feel worthy of a miracle. I kept wondering why me when there are so many out there that are suffering more than me and who are more deserving than me. And I don't know why. And, you know, you throw out something like back pain in a church that has 2,400 seats, someone's going to, you're going to, you know, even a... Blind squirrel gets an acorn every so often. <laughs> so they said in Kentucky, where I grew up. But was that a coincidence? Couldn't be. One of my favorite emails from uh, one of our volunteers was this. He wrote, one day I noticed that one of the people who worked for the same company that I do had been missing. His foreman told me that Jim was gravely ill and in the hospital. He was suffering from heart failure complicated by a severe case of diabetes. After work, my wife and I went to Mercy Hospital. The receptionist told us that Jim was in ICU. We found Jim alone in this room with more tubes and wires connected to him than you could ever imagine. He appeared to be sleeping, so we prayed quietly and anointed him with oil. As we finished praying, he woke up and was surprised to see us there in the room. We explained that we had come to pray for his healing and visited only a few more minutes and left. Five days later, he was back at work. He then explained that when, he had, when we had visited him in the hospital, he had been in a coma for two days and wasn't expected to live. His wife had gone home to shower and prepare for what appeared to be a death vigil. She arrived about a half hour after we had left and found Jim awake and alert. She and the doctors couldn't believe what had happened. Jim told them God did it and explained to them about our visit and prayer for his healing. The doctors were skeptical and even kept him a couple more days in case he had a relapse, which he didn't. My question is, yeah, good. was that a coincidence? No. no. <laughs> Will you wait till I finish and then I'll tell you the... Can't be telling the answers before I get to the... So because people at the church where I pastored were... Uh, I mean, we literally prayed for, the teams prayed for tens of thousands of people hands-on, we'd come across stories periodically like that. A, a while back, I uh, personally talked to uh, two different people whose newborn babies were born with no heartbeat or breathing because of breech births or other difficulties in delivery and were brought back to life. In one story, the, the mother's birth attendant wrote this in her journal. She wrote, when the baby came out, she coded. There was no heartbeat or breath. I followed the baby and began to pray in the spirit. I had a sense of peace in the hospital room, even though it was chaotic. I spoke life to the baby, declaring that she will live in Jesus' name. After several times of saying that, her heart began to beat. Jesus raised her from the dead. She went four and a half minutes with no heartbeat and nine minutes until she could breathe on her own. Today, that child has no uh, physical problems. Was that a coincidence? No. 
Now, at the, at, at the healing center, we regularly had stories of people healed of, of all sorts of different diseases and problems, even uh, one from the effects of Alzheimer's. Does everyone that we prayed for get healed? Honestly, no. And I want to talk about that. But before we get to that, let's, let's look at Jesus and let's look at his mission and how he operated. If I were to sum up the mission of Jesus in 20 words or, or less, it would be what he himself said. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, in the evangelical church, that word save that we just read came to strictly mean getting someone to pray the prayer and then ask Jesus into their heart and get whipped off to heaven when they keel over. And that's pretty important, I agree. But that word for save is typically the Greek word sozo, which is far more comprehensive. It, it, it means to make whole or to heal or to restore, or to keep safe. It's used, it's used over 100 times in the New Testament. For instance, when Jesus healed the woman who touched his robe from the, uh, she was hemorrhaging, it reads that Jesus turned to her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed, sozo, saved you, right? And the woman was healed or saved, sozo, from that moment. Or in Luke 8, when he uh, delivers a man who appeared to be deemed insane, it reads in Luke 8 that those who had seen it reported to the people how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. Again, sozo is the Greek word there. When Jesus healed Bartimaeus from his blindness, he told him, go, go, your faith has sozo, has healed you. And so when Matthew records how Jesus first launched into his public ministry, it just starts with a bang. And he says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill from various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Healing was central to the ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he functioned as a healer. 41 distinct instances of physical and emotional healing are recorded in the Gospels, and many of these references large groups or large numbers of people at once. Nearly one-fifth of the Gospels is devoted to Jesus' healing ministries, and that's just some of it. Because when John the Apostle wrote his historical account, his eyewitness account of Jesus... He said, if we had put everything in there that we saw Jesus do, the world couldn't hold all of the books. These guys were amazed at what they saw him doing. During his, his three-year ministry, Jesus healed many, many times the numbers that were healed during the preceding thousands of years in the Old Testament, in the, under the Old Covenant. Because with the coming of the Messiah, who had been promised for thousands of years, there was an outpouring of God's power. And we noticed an evolution of revelation, that sickness and health was no longer uh, emphasized as a means of judgment for sin or a reward for obedience. Rather, sickness was seen as a representation of the kingdom of darkness. And in Jesus, the kingdom of God had come in power to confront and overcome sin, sickness, disease, and the devil. Now, healing is a primary expression of the kingdom of God. 
So when Jesus announced that the kingdom of God has come, when he'd say, the kingdom has come near you, the kingdom of God is among you in some translations, what he was saying was he meant that God's kingdom was now pushing into the kingdoms of this world that, at the risk of sounding cosmic here, were being controlled by an unseen enemy, and that he, Jesus, was declaring war against that. What's more, in the New Testament, we, we find that healing is primarily motivated by compassion. So when the Bible says that God is love, it, mean, that it means it, right? It means that that is his personality. He cannot help but love. So over and over in the accounts of Jesus, it reads that he was moved by compassion, Right? It reads that he saw the crowds and he was moved by, he had compassion on them, saying that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. You know that, that word, just as a side, that word compassion, we get it from the Latin, from two Latin words, passio, which means passion or to suffer. It literally, I mean, that's the way we talk about the passion of the Christ. Passio, suffer, and the prefix com means with. It means that you suffer with someone. And so when Jesus saw crowds who were sick or in need of life, and health, he suffered with them and brought the power of the kingdom via that. It was then that he, when he said that, that moment we said that he, they were like sheep without a shepherd, it was then that he called his apostles together and he gave them the authority to heal the sick and sent them out. And then later, he gives that same authority to 70 people and sent them out in teams to heal. And then he gives that very same authority to millions of people called the church. That's you and me, right? Now, now, that's the big idea here, is that we have a calling in our lives to be healers. But let's be honest. Look at us. I mean, look around you, you know. You know, Paul writes to a church once, and he said, yeah, there are not very many noble people around you. <laughs> he says, God chooses the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. So welcome to the ship of fools here. Let's go. But, but here's the deal. The, the reality is that we're all pretty wounded people. That makes us wounded healers, and that's where compassion could really kick in you understand, right? We're called to be pipelines. The people who don't have it all together, we're called to be pipelines for God's healing power, not because of our own cleverness, our own uh, counseling skills or whatever, see? just simply by being available. Here I am, God. Use me. Use this balloon. Like you, I have my stuff, I have my issues, but God really wants to pour his power through me and through you, see? Now, Let's get honest. Are we still tracking here? Are you okay with me? Remember, I'll be gone in just a little bit. You can talk to Van about that. Now, let's talk about real life experience, okay? I prayed for people. Some got healed on the spot, and then I've gone home and taken aspirins to relieve a two-day-long headache. I, don't, I, don't, I have prayed for others who didn't recover. I've held the hands of people when they slipped into eternity. I have done more funerals than I care to count, and some in my own family. You know. But the simple truth is, praying for healing is, is, that's just, that is central to the church throughout church history. 
You know, when, when, when I talk about this with people, usually the question is brought up as, well, then why do some people get healed and some don't? And I think that's a really legit question. So let me show you a few reasons why I think as I see it. And then you can agree or disagree or call Van. All of us, all of us in this room, we've been immersed in a Western rationalistic worldview. It just is. That's the bias you have. We, we have a not-so-subtle anti-supernatural bias. Put that together with just the incredible accessibility that we have for medical care and hospitals and doctors. I think where I live, I think there are now like four or five hospitals within at least six, seven minutes from where I live in Mason now. It's just crazy, you know. Well, but there's now little need for God to intervene because <laughs> we can get well in other ways. That's certainly not the case for third world developing countries. Where they're not, I've been to countries where the doctor's office was a uh, shipping container, like those big metal things in a 102 degree temperature with no air conditioning, and that's where you see the doctor in the shipping container. You know, it's, it's incredible what we have. So, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, God, God is not... He's not against medicine. He's not against doctors. He's not against hospitals. He wants us to be whole. We're just fighting the same enemy different ways. So, you know, I've had nice... People say, you know, God just doesn't do that anymore. He did it back then. He doesn't do that anymore. Well, I've had nice religious people tell me that that God doesn't heal anymore, and that was just for the early church. When I ask why, the answer is typically, well, I guess it's not as well. It's not as well. And so when I ask them if they go to the doctor when they get sick or take any medicine, they say, of course they do. Then my question is, if it's not God's will for you to be well, then why are you taking medicine? <laughs> right? I mean, there's a, there's a logic breakdown here for me. Take, take the medicine. Go, get well. But don't say it's not God's will for you to get well and then try to get well. Right? Does that make any sense? Again, he's not against medicine. He wants he heal. He wants, he wants us whole. The other thing that plays into this is legalism. Legalism, the, you know, the author and, and uh, former Dallas Seminary professor, uh, Jack Deere, in his classic book, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, which I would highly recommend for anyone struggling biblically with the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit and so forth, he writes this. He says, the legalism of the Israelites drove out the presence of God. Wow. Ooh, that's frightening, isn't it? They kept an outward form of religion, but they let their hearts wander far from God. Legalism drives out the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is something so blinding about that sin, he says. See, we, we can limit, we can limit the power of God by our traditions that have developed out of our methodologies, our own limited experiences, right? I mean, let's Let's get real here. In a similar fashion, there are churches that have not seen a single person come to Christ in years and years and years, and yet will not change, will not change from how they've done things traditionally for decades. Think, why would you do that? This track isn't working. Get off that track. Let's try something else, right? Another hindrance to seeing people healed can be our, when we're praying for people, our lack of faith. Now, let me clarify this one because that is loaded. And I've been in toxic religious systems, not the vineyard, <laughs> but I've been around a long time. 
I've been in toxic religious systems where this has been used to spiritually abuse people and, and make them feel like they're failures or second-class citizens or whatever. That's wrong. But there, there's a reality here that's hard to avoid, so we have to wrestle with that in Scripture. Jesus spent large chunks of his time training his disciples to expand their trust in two things, basically. Two things. The ability and capacity of God. In other words, God can do anything. And Jesus spent a lot of time trying to help them expand their vision of the possibilities of what God can do. The second thing was God's innate goodness. So he would tell them over and over. Each, think about all the parables, all the stories that Jesus talked about. He hit those two things over and over and over. God's ability, capacity, and his innate goodness. And here's how this works. Sometimes it's the, uh, the lack of, of authentic faith of the person receiving ministry. And that's hard, you know. Again, not always, but sometimes. Because when Jesus went back to his hometown, there is a strangely loaded verse that says that he could not do any miracles there except for laying his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Oh. Now, remember, that was God in the flesh, and it wasn't happening for him. So there's a lot of dynamic in this stuff. Then again, it's not always the receiver's fault, right? When someone's raised from the dead, there wasn't a lot of faith happening there for that guy, right? Obviously, you know. So one day the disciples, they couldn't help a father whose son was, son was in the throes of a, of a seizure, and they couldn't make anything happen. And Jesus came along and healed the boy. And later when they asked him, why couldn't we do that? He simply said, because you have so little faith. Think, Ow, right? But that, that wasn't meant as condemnation. Rather, it was meant to expand their vision because he just right after that says, you don't need a lot. Just faith the size of a mustard seed will do it, see? So, so, so that's last. Uh, we have to admit, and this is a hard one, that we, we, just, we don't have a complete picture of the sovereignty of God. We don't, we don't have the whole picture of God's sovereignty, right? I'll give you an example. This, I didn't say this in the earlier service, but... Uh, I have time now, so I'll say it. But when, when uh, and, and besides, she was here. It's a story about my daughter, Rachel, when she was in high school. And um, I was working at the vineyard Saturday afternoon, writing my message <laughs> to give in a couple hours. <laughs> As a procrastinator. And, uh, and I get a call from Rachel. And she says, Dad, I want to go to this party tonight, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little late, and my friend's going to pick me up, but it's good. It's all kids from the youth group. It's going to be great, and, and uh, it's okay if I go. I said, um, well, I'm not so sure it's a good idea because you were out late last night with a group of friends, so it's probably not a good idea. Let's not do that. She goes, come on, Dad, please, and then I did that dad thing, which is the ticket out of jail. Well, go ask your mom. And whatever she says, uh, I'm good to go. So a little bit later, she calls back, and she says, Dad, only kids can make a two-syllable word out of that. Dad, please call Mom. She, call Mom. I said, I, 
said, are you kidding? You might as well tell Moses, hey, take off a couple of those pesky commandments. We don't need, let's just do with eight. Mom spoke, fire came down on the mountain. That was it. I said, nope, I'm a wuss. She's right. You can't go. So I get home uh, later on that night after speaking Saturday night, and she's sitting in front of the computer, and she's back in the day. This was when uh, uh, AIM, remember (laughs) AIM? You wait to get it. She was tossing. So she's just staring at the computer, and I pulled up a chair next to her, and I said, uh, hey, uh, are we okay? And she said, yeah. She didn't look at me. She just kept staring at the computer. She was here today. She's actually planning a church in Covington, Kentucky now. <laughs> How cool is that? Isn't God good? And so she, she, she said, yeah, we're okay. I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. She wouldn't look at me. I said, Rachel, let me tell you something. Um, um, I'm your dad, and you need my fathering from time to time. And uh, sometimes I'm going to say no. Mom and dad are going to say no. And my job as a dad to father you to the point where you'll turn over that fathering to your heavenly dad, who will be way better at this than I am. But that's my goal in life, to disciple you for the next so many years so that you trust him to be a good daddy. And so sometimes he's going to say no too. And... and how you respond to my saying no tells me a whole lot about your spiritual maturity because sometimes he is going to say no. And she looked at me and gave me that big Rachel grin and then hugged my neck and we were okay, you know. But that was one of those moments when, thank God, you get it right, you know. (laughs) It's always like that. We just don't know all the reasons. So there is God's sovereignty. We don't know everything. The primary writer of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who did more to develop the theology of the new covenant than anyone, who defined and categorized the charisma, the gifts and power of uh, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, who boldly disciplined churches that were struggling with doctrine and behaviors and, and practices, who had, he had a resume steeped in the miraculous, so much so that he had to beg people to stop worshiping him because of the miracle healings happening around him. He writes, that guy with all of that resume, writes sadly that during one of his mission trips, he says, I had to leave Erastus. He stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. That's not batting a 1,000 if you're the hotshot healer, right? But I, I guarantee it did not stop Paul from continuing to pray for people, including Trophimus. There's an element of this that we cannot control, what God may be doing beyond what we can see, right? And that maybe that's what behind uh, Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father is doing, Because ultimately, all who love Jesus are healed, (laughs) ultimately. There is a place that we go after we drop this robe of flesh, there's a place where there is no pain, some dimension where there is no sickness anymore. But we live in a world where the kingdom of God is now and it's not yet there, right? We live in that middle ground. We live metaphorically in what, uh, uh, who was it, Uh, Coleman uh, wrote, a Lutheran theologian wrote, that we live spiritually between the time in World War II of D-Day when the Allies stormed the Normandy beaches and essentially defeated Nazi Germany there 
and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, when they finally surrendered. Do you know how long that was between those two dates? About a year, with the highest number of casualties of World War II. We live in that in-between time. There are going to be casualties. We're not always going to get it right. And we have a fearless, <laughs> you know, God who is fighting against this defeated foe through you and me. Right? We're in a tough war. And here's the deal. You won't know how God wants to use you until you begin to take some risks and begin to storm some Normandy beach in your life, you know. I know that it's God's will to heal, but it's not always crystal clear how that's appropriated. I sure don't know at all, but it doesn't stop me from continuing to ask God to work through me. We don't have to understand it all. The pressure is not on us to always succeed, but to walk in hope and compassionately pray, suffer with in our prayer, and watch what the Father's doing. In Acts 4, after Peter and John, who were, they were like the, you know, de facto leaders of the, of the church there, right, in the first few chapters, they were arrested and they were threatened to be beaten. They were threatened with, the church was threatened with persecution. This is what the church prayed when they got back together after that. Immediately after that, they gathered together, they met in some room, and this was their prayer. They said, it was prayed with one voice, Lord, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you catch that? They, did, they didn't pray that God would smite their enemies, smite those bad religious leaders who were persecuting them. They didn't pray that God would keep them safe. They didn't pray for their rights. They didn't pray for bigger houses or better cars. They prayed that God would extend his healing power through them to the people in their city. Think, how did we miss that in the American church? Wow. That's, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And that, I believe, is the kind of church that you're sitting in right now. This is a healing community. And that's, that's the badge of honor that they should wear here. You should wear. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. Mm. The God that you would remind us that in our woundedness, we are called to be healers. We are called to bring the healing power of the kingdom of God to this planet in every way, in salvation, in healing, in restoration, in forgiveness, in life, in kindness, in goodness. You have called us to be that. So God, I pray that you would amp up our faith a bit, God. If it only takes a mustard seed worth, give us that. Give us that. So come, Holy Spirit. And Father, I believe that you've entrusted this church with that, um, that authority. I think you've given it here because you trust them and they're faithful. So come, Lord Jesus, and use us to bring your kingdom here in this city and beyond. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.